Sugarland sings a song called There's Gotta Be Something More, and now you're going to be singing in your head for the next five or ten minutes. You know, not my favorite song in the world, but it's like it, it speaks to the condition of the human heart. It's like there's got to be something more to this life than just commuting and just living and working and, and everything else that we do to occupy our time. And I think that this book of Ephesians speaks to that truth, that there is something more, and that we truly are made for more. And how encouraging is it? that God does have a calling on each and every life. So, so uh, I'm not a big fan of boring reviews, so I'll try and make this review as spine-tingling as possible. But we have already covered the first three chapters briefly in Ephesians. And the whole the idea of this book of Ephesians is Paul writing to this church, and it's consider the constitution of the church because it speaks to the church and what our purpose on earth is for and this is how we function and who is in it and all that kind of stuff. And so chapter one of Ephesians, the theme was made for something more because what we were looking at is that the church is his body. And the main verse that I'm going to pull out as the review is, is verse 23 and has put all things under his feet, his being Jesus, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body. That's us. The fullness of him, Jesus, that fills all in all. So, so the church is, is the fullness of Jesus on this earth. We are made for something more. And then chapter 2, we are made to be more. We are his masterpiece. One of my favorite verses in all the scripture, verse 10 of chapter 2, that we are his workmanship. It also means the word masterpiece, that we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's a purpose for how he has made us, like he is custom, you are a custom piece. I mean, some of you are just a real piece of work, if you know what I'm saying. But you are a custom-made piece, like God has made you this masterpiece for a specific purpose, like you fit right in that slot where God has created you to fit, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And then last week, we talked about the fact that we are made to love more, that we should be fueled not by guilt not by fear, not by selfish ambition, but we should be fueled, our calling should be fueled by love. And he said this in verses 17, 18, and 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, right? Through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted, because you're only as healthy as your root system. Grounded, because you have to have a firm foundation if you're gonna grow in your faith, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. I love this, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brings us to chapter four. The theme of chapter four is that we are made to do more. And so before we go any further, let me just kind of hit the pause button and I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not encouraging you to add more to your plate. I'm not asking you to pick up one more plate and start spinning it with all the other dozen that you already have. What I am saying is that maybe it's time to prioritize what we are doing and figure out what we're supposed to be doing because sometimes the best yes is a no. Sometimes you have to say no to something that may seem legitimate, 
good, helpful, in order to be able to say yes to the things that are actually healthy and life-giving and God-honoring and God-directed. So when I say we are made to do more, I truly believe that. In the order that God has them for our lives. So Paul starts this chapter off, of course, I'm sure you know this, but like when Paul wrote this, it was just a big letter. There weren't chapters and verses. We did that, we did that hundreds of years later so that we could find where we're saying. Like we put addresses on the verses so we could tell somebody, oh yeah, that's over in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Otherwise it would be like, yeah, it's kind of halfway in between. It's right below the coffee stain. So we have chapter four, Paul starting off here in verse one. He says this, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you. That means I beg you strongly that you walk worthy of the vocation. Your Bible may say calling wherewith you are called. So he said that that word vocation is such a fantastic word. But here's my concern. Like we see the word vocation and we think, well, that's like a paid position. It's not, right? So He's saying you're called, like you have a calling on your life. Whatever that calling is on your life, you should walk worthy of that calling. That's what you have been called to do. I mean, do you feel that? Do you believe that you have a calling on your life? So, so here's the truth, right? There's this big gap. So you have, this is, this is, uh, this is who we are. This is how God made me. This is, this is what I do for a living. This is who's in my world. This is my family. This is where I work and live. This is who I am. This is who we are. And then you have over on the other side of the spectrum, you have who we are called to be. And this is how God sees your life. This is, this is how effective you could be on this earth. And there is this gap between who we are and who we are called to be. And my question is like, what is that gap? Like what, what is causing us to not realize or not live into who we are called to be? We're just okay with who we are. And I'm saying this is who we are, but this is who we are called to be. And what is the gap between the two? And I could come up with a lot of reasons, right? I could come up with things like apathy. Ah, somebody else will do it. Laziness, busyness. There's a lot of good reasons, but could I use this encouraging word for you? Latency. You're like, how the heck is that an encouraging word? So let's see what latency means. It's the state of existing, but not yet developed or manifested. So the reason I say this is encouraging is because it is within you to do this. It just hasn't happened yet. And that's why I'm so excited about this sermon because what Paul is telling us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that it dwells inside of you. And even though you may be here, this is who I am. Have you seen my life? This is who I am. God is saying, this is who I've created you to be. And it's within you. It dwells within you. Like, I see something in you that maybe you don't even see. And our experiences in church don't always look <laughs> the way that Paul is trying to point out to us here. I believe that God intends 
for you to see yourself the way he sees you. I believe that you're absolutely gifted and capable to do your calling, to be who God has made you to be. I'm, ex I'm excited for you because it is in you and there is few things more fulfilling than knowing you are running on premium fuel, doing exactly what God has called you to do and becoming who God wants you to be rather than just living your life every day the same. So my encouragement to you. So, so I believe you can do this, but I don't think that we think it can be me. So like when we read this in Ephesians, we're like, yeah, I believe that people should walk worthy of their calling, right? We just don't say that about us. So, so if we put our name in there, right, I'm, I'm becoming a fan of putting our name in Scripture. So Paul would say to you, whatever your name is, I can't go through all of you at this point in time. It would be a long sermon. But I want Eric to walk worthy of his calling. I want you, your name, to walk worthy of your calling. To the point that I feel like if Jesus were to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee across the table, it would be a strong cup of coffee, first of all. It wouldn't be a girly drink. He would have a strong cup of coffee. I don't know. That's not Bible. All right. That's just Eric just being silly. So don't be offended. Because I can see some of you like, what's wrong with pumpkin spice latte? <laughs> Doesn't have any pumpkin or spice or latte in it. That's what's wrong with it. But he's sitting across the table from you. And I truly believe that if he were to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, he would clarify to you that this is for you. This is like you Whatever your name is, put your, yeah, this is between you and God. You are called to this life right now. Like the life that you are living right now, your job, your family, your school, your activities, your life. This is who you are called to be and live into. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven clarifies it for us. He says this, but unto some of you, no, he said every one of us. And don't you even love the fact that he included himself in that pronoun? Every one of us. So every one of us. Unto every one of us. Is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then he Jump down a few verses here, verses 11 and 12. He goes into some of these roles in the local church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for a threefold purpose, and that is the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edification of the body of Christ. So he gives us these five roles in the New Testament church. But I want... So, so, uh, be very careful. Don't write off these things as for somebody else. I want you to live into this. And we're going we're gonna to kind of just take about five or six minutes here. And we're going to look at each one of these roles 
in the church and maybe give a brief explanation. And my guess is that as we explain what each one of these roles in the church are, you're going to be like, that kind of sounds like me. That kind of, that, that's kind of how I feel about that. And so you would never call yourself an apostle. You would never call yourself a shepherd or a pastor because you think that that's a position in the church. It's who we're called to be in the church. I'm a servant in the church. I don't rule this thing. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ in his church. I'm called just like you are called. So as you look at these different roles within the church, it's commonly known as the A-Pest, A-P-E-S-T, and we're going to kind of go through this a little bit. Most of you only saw the word apes, and I understand. But the A-Pest, the first is apostles. Let's take a look at what an apostle. Let's see if this may be you, right? An apostle. That's someone who, who is looking to extend and expand. Like this person has an entrepreneurial spirit. They're looking for more that the church could do. They're dreaming of what could happen if we could just, uh, that. And there are people in this room that are like that. Like I can see ways that a church could really affect their community or do more things overseas. You're that entrepreneur that's like, ah, man, you would never call yourself an apostle. But that's who you are. That's, that's how God made you. And then look at the word prophet. The the, the prophet is the person who who questions and critiques things, not in a critical spirit, not with a critical, a lot of you are like, oh, okay, well then that's not me. But they keep us true to our calling. Like they're gonna make, well, I don't know. Like I I appreciate the fact that you wanna, but you have to keep in mind that, you know, they're, they're just that person who God has given to the church to make sure that we stay on track, that we're not, we're not losing our way. They seek justice. That's not right. That's not right. It's not fair. It's not right that some people have to do this and some people get to do this. It's not right that they, they seek justice. You would never consider yourself a prophet. You would never say, I'm a prophet, because you think a prophet's just someone who tells the future. A prophet is somebody who seeks Justice, they're wanting things to be right. They want to protect the marginalized. That's somebody who is, do you feel your giftings in here anywhere? Do you feel like your heart being like, yeah, I kind of feel that right there. Okay. God has given you to the church with that natural bent, that, that frame of reference, that frame of mind that you might have. An evangelist, that's somebody who's good at recruiting for the cause. So they recruit to the cause. They, they're gifted at spreading the good news, the word. They reach out. They're inclusive. Now, let me just clarify. We are all called to share the good news. All of us are to share the good news. But an evangelist is someone who's just gifted they're either good at talking to people or they're just super passionate about it or they have this personality that just welcomes people in. Like they're just all inclusive, right? Just come on to church. Just let me just introduce you to my friend. Come to my small group. This is, this is what it's about. And then you have the shepherd, also known as the pastor. They care and they nurture. We've made the role of pastor a position in the church. 
But the word pastor is actually very rarely used in the New Testament. And I'm not even sure we got it right. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't feel, I don't want you to see me as the one running everything. Like, I am a servant in this church. But we have made North American Christianity, North American churches, have made pastor like this special role that is in charge of everything. I know I, I'm responsible for everything. But it's like, I feel like we just relegate that. Okay, it's his job to nurture and care. It's your job. Like I would guess if these are the five roles, then maybe let's just, let's just do the math and say 20% of you. I don't think there's any percentages, but let's just, let's just like, you know, could be like 20% of you are, to, are carers and nurturers. Need fillers, caretakers. They're gonna be the ones taking the chairs down and setting them up and vacuuming and making sure that we got enough food out there and making the coffee and, and volunteering for roles because we're here just to kind of fill the gap. We're here to help. They are shepherding. They are nurturing. They are caring. Is that you? Do you see yourself here anywhere yet? We're running out of them. So if you haven't seen yourself yet, you might be this last one, and that is the teacher, right? They're good at explaining and organizing. They take truth and they show us how to put it into practice. It's not just the regurgitation of information. It is that they help you see what it means for your life, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to live by faith. That's the teacher. That's the, that's the person that shows you how to put it into practice. Now, this is, this is what I love about this whole thing, right? We look at these as positions within the church that we don't qualify for because we're just a lay person. We are it. We are the church. You understand? Paul never mentions like lay people versus paid staff, right? We're just all part of the church. We're just, we're all there. And so, what, what my, so, so here's what I want to say about this. These gifts are given to the church for mission, not organization. All of these are necessary. It's like, it's like spokes on a wagon wheel. Like you have five spokes, right? So, so they, you need all of them for this thing to work well. It's like the systems of your body. You have a, a skeletal system, a nervous system, a digestive system. And unless all of the systems are working well, your body doesn't function. If one of the systems of your church uh, go bad, you're in, okay, one of the systems of your body go bad, you might need to go see a doctor. If two of them go bad, we might have to admit you into the hospital. If three of them go bad, we may be planning your funeral. We need the systems of our body to function properly. We need the systems, the roles within the church to function properly. Here's what I love. So Jesus fulfilled all of these. So the ministry of Christ, this was the ministry of Christ. An apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. Jesus fulfilled, he embodied all of these roles. But here's what's exciting. He didn't just end it there. He has let us know that we are the body of Christ. So we are his expression on this earth. So all of these attributes that he filled in his ministry, he has given to the church to fulfill this role within the church 
so the church can fulfill the mission of Christ to reconcile people to himself. And these are then the fullness of Christ. We need them all within the church to do what we're supposed to be doing. So, this letter to the Ephesians was not written to a pastor. It was written to the church. Folks just like you and folks just like me. It was written so that people would know what their responsibility, what their role is, what their possibilities were in the church of God. This is not about hierarchy. As a matter of fact, let me make this statement. We need to move from more hierarchy to more missionaries. Because here's what happens. If we are not clear on the fact that all of us are missionaries, that all of us play a role in the church, then what church becomes is this thing that we do, this event that we attend for 70 minutes on a Sunday. This is not church. This is a corporate worship service where his church gathers together and we sing and we enjoy each other and we have, we have fun and we learn something and then we go home and then we are the church Monday through Saturday. That's the idea. This is not the church. This contains the church. We are here as his church. We are the body of Christ and we are on mission. We are not to look at these things like, well, I don't fill that role. Listen, you, there's something that resonates with you here. There is something that you have been called to do to affect the kingdom of God. Because what happens is when we relegate church to an event that lasts for 70 minutes, we then become passive in our faith. We become too comfortable in our attendance. And we think, well, we checked that box, so I'm good. I don't even know how they measure this, but I was reading a book the other day, and he was talking about the passivity rate in the North American church. And depending on what type of church you go to, if it's a heavy pulpit ministry, if it's a heavy platform ministry or heavy worship ministry, the, the, the passivity rate was anywhere from 80 to 95%. So 80 to 95% of the attenders are completely passive. They don't participate at all. We've created that problem because we're used to sitting in a row and looking forward and just thinking that this is church. It doesn't help that we call it that, I understand. But church is more than an event. I mean, so, so here's the, I believe that, I think we're, I think we are a great, I think we have great fellowship here. But this is not a social club. I think that we do good things for our community, but this is not just some really nice, helpful nonprofit. Our mission is unique. God is trying to reconcile a world unto himself and you and I, the church, are his primary way that that gets done. So can we have a mind shift here? God has called us to more in the mundane. I want that to resonate with you. That's the big overall statement for the day. That God has called us to more in the mundane. What do I mean? Like, he wants you to live out. So, so let me read this to you. To see our lives 
where we live, play, work, and study as our ministry. That's the right now. That's the, that's the job that you have right now. That's, that's the family that God has given you. That's the friends that you have. That's the world you live in. That's the life that you currently have. God has called you into that ministry. How exciting is this, that God wants to redeem this world. He wants to, he wants to reclaim it. He wants to, to reestablish a relationship with every person on this globe, and he uses us to do it. And so he wants to move us from the idea that my mundane life is just that. He said, I want you to look for more in the mundane. You want to talk about mundane? This is mundane. This is my lunchbox. This is my favorite lunchbox because it holds everything I need. It has a handy-dandy pouch up here I can slip my water bottle into. It has a place to put my ice pack. This is my favorite lunchbox right here. It has a little pouch to keep my little flavor packets in. This is my lunchbox. So how much more mundane can you get than a lunchbox? In John chapter 6, 5,000 men, their wives, and their children came to hear Jesus speak. Jesus gets done speaking to all of these people. Option number one, send them all home. Option number two, let's feed them all. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, what if we got to feed all these people? We ain't got nothing. What are you talking about? Just send them home, Jesus. How is that our job? You tell me you don't have anything. Well, we got one lunchbox. You talk about mundane. Jesus took that boy's lunch that had five loaves of bread and two fish and fed between 15 to 20,000 people. And then he sent them home. He didn't even get anything out of it. Why did, why did not Jesus just send them on home? Because Jesus saw their physical need and wanted to meet their physical need. Why did he even include the disciples? He could have just made manna run down from heaven, right? He wanted to include the disciples in this miracle so that they could see what he saw and meet the needs that he wanted to meet. God wants to take your mundane life and he wants you to see it as having the potential for more in the mundane. Like, come on, you at least got a lunch that he can use, right? You have a way, you have some skills, you have some relationships that, that can be leveraged for the kingdom of Christ. You have, in your life, you have what it takes for God to do what he wants to do. Every one of us, he said in verse seven. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's how Jesus wants to use us. Perhaps you have never been told this. Christianity is not a passive experience. It's this journey. It's an interactive journey. And we are active participants along the way. The way of Jesus, the way of life, he called it, is not just a set of ideas or a belief system that we might call theology. It's not even a set of do's and don'ts that we call ethics. It is, it is organizing your entire life around the person and mission of Jesus Christ. 
And so I would propose to you this morning as we round the corner here that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the doing that we need to be doing. Our conversations with our friends, the conversations with our kids about Jesus should be more than about what happened on Sunday. It should be about what God is doing in the hearts and lives of people that you interact with every day. Come on, Mom, Dad. Are these conversations happening? Like, or is Christianity only about what happens on Sunday? If all that we talk about when it comes to our faith is what happens at a church service or what we see somebody else doing, maybe we need to pray and ask God to use us to affect change in our world. Maybe we need to be on mission in the world that we live in so that we can see Christ doing things in the hearts and lives of people that we interact with apart from Sunday. Because look around, like there's still room, right? There's still room for people. That's where they are. We're called to go and reach folks, and that's how the church functions. So this following of Jesus, this discipleship, how does it happen? I like the word apprentice or apprenticing. So this is the, this is the maybe the practical application of this for today, this Sunday, and that is uh, apprenticing with Jesus. First of all, that's just being with him, being with Jesus. And if I can encourage you, if, if, if you're looking at what is, what is my calling, what am I here, can I just encourage you to apprentice? Because I tell you, when you spend time with Jesus, you will do what Jesus did. So be with Jesus. Jesus called it abiding. Abiding, that means just being with him, sitting in his presence, spending time with him, making him a part of the everyday, giving him your attention. In John chapter 15, he told his disciples this in verse four, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. No, not at all. Like there's nothing that you can do without abiding in him. By the, by the way, Jesus called his disciples to be with him long before he sent them out. So that's why this is step number one. So apprenticing with Jesus is being with him. Second is to become like him, to become like Jesus. This is about becoming who you are in him, who God has made us to be, which means probably you'll have to change who you are right now which is what we don't want to do, right? But it, so, so whoever you are, if you're gonna become like Jesus, he wants to make you into the very best version of what he would look like if he were you. I don't even like to say the best, best version of yourself because we're supposed to be made into the image of Christ. And so it's who he is. Matter of fact, Romans chapter eight, we love verse 28 of Romans chapter eight because it says, and we know all things work together for good to them who are the call of the according to his purpose, right? But then the very next verse says this, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine or predestinate to be conformed to the image of a son. Like we are called according to his purpose. And in that calling, there is 
conforming. And so when we spend time with Jesus, then we become like Jesus, and we start to think, okay, what, what does this mean? For my, we become the image bearer of Jesus in this world. It makes sense that, that we will become like the one with whom we spend time. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus did. Now, this is where most of us want to start, right? Most of us want to start here because we see the do, like we have to do more. But I'm encouraging you to start with being with him and then becoming like him and then doing what Jesus did. If you are with Jesus and you're becoming like Jesus, it makes sense that you would eventually start doing what Jesus would do. In Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verse 12, it says this, He that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do. So the question is, what would Jesus do if these were his kids? What would Jesus do if they were his co-workers? What would Jesus do in the world that you're living in? That's the life on mission. That's the more and the mundane. That is living your life, how you go through it every day on mission as though that was your ministry. What would Jesus do if that was his job? Those were his friends. These were his classmates. That's what we're called to do. This is what we have been created to be. This is what we are made to do. He said in verse one, walk worthy of your calling. This is the calling on our life. Spiritual maturity is living like Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not knowing the Bible. That helps. Spiritual maturity is not more knowledge. Spiritual maturity is becoming and living like Jesus. Therefore, a spiritually mature church will behave like Jesus. You have a calling on your life. I'm excited for you. Your first calling is to, is to know him. And if you don't know Jesus, that's the first Step In just a minute, we're going to sing a song, and we'll be dismissed, and there's going to be uh, Todd down here to pray with folks and, and Dina down here to pray with folks. That's an opportunity to say, hey, I'd like to know more about that. That's why we're here. Or stop me after church. I'd love to have that conversation with you about connecting you with him so you know him on a personal level. But once you know him on a personal level, then it opens up the doors like, like this is what I can do. This is who I am partnering with. This is my role. This is why I exist on this earth for 70 to 80 years is to get everything ready for all of eternity. Because there's only two things on this earth that will be in eternity. That's the souls of men and the word of God. Every car you can buy, every house you can own, every toy that you play with, every, everything is going to be gone except for the souls of men and the word of God. Two questions. What did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with what Jesus has for you to do? We're called. And we have a purpose and a greater meaning in our life. What an incredible thought. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us so well. Thank you for not only dying for us, but leaving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the words that you give us in the Bible. Help us to become who we are called to be. 
so that we can be in the business of reconciling this world with a loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.